0: You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times, with A.J. Swoboda and E.J. Gupta. Excited to be back again talking with A.J. about all things um, faith and doubt and gospel and hope. And I've been thinking about lately questions that I sometimes get from students um, or maybe readers of our books about the issue of can you lose your salvation? And this is a topic that's been around forever, and it goes back to, you know, predestination issues and free will. And I think there are two extremes that we can kind of just help to alleviate people's concerns about. One extreme is kind of that, you know, super Calvinism, hyper Calvinism that is God is this puppet master and you're predestined for wrath. Or you're predestined for salvation. It's kind of like you don't have a choice in the matter. Personal faith, personal choice doesn't really mean anything. And that's on this level of like, you were born into wrath. You will die in wrath, or you're one of the lucky ones that gets the golden ticket. The other extreme, and I don't really believe that. The other extreme is, you know, it's, it's kind of like, relationships like dating relationships in high school or college where you're like on again, off again, like we're back together. Now we're broken up. (laughs) Now we're back together. Now we're broken up and we're on a break. So, you know, I think because of the nature of human relationships or let's say divorce or separation, you can kind of see how there might be this category where you're like, does God still love me? Am I still going to heaven? And I know that students are often wondering where is that line there's this they imagine there's this line and that you know we're good with god as long as we stay within this general territory mm-hmm. but what happens when we kind of step over this line and then now we're in you know wrath territory and there there's this kind of urgency or stress what is that line so mm-hmm. aj how do you process that when it comes to faith if we're just talking about the topic of faith and what faith is Right, I think some people live with a a bit of um, ambivalence or fear that if I don't have enough faith or I don't have the right kind of faith, then I'm not actually pleasing God, and therefore I might lose my salvation. Is that something Christians should worry about?
1: My gut level response is uh, this would be a wise question, probably to uh, take to some of the apostles who thought about this this very thing and, and ask. Some of their perspectives. And I think in a moment, I want to read a little passage from Hebrews 6 that has kind of historically been the the go-to passage on this very topic. Um, But I I remember years ago, getting I was uh, given these uh, incredible football tickets uh, from a friend to go to a UFO duck football game uh, here in Eugene. Uh, they were really good tickets the kinds that you don't get just by getting them online or something. You have to know somebody you have to be in, you have to be in a circle. You have to be in a cool circle to get. And I had a friend who was in that cool circle who happened to be gone for a day. And he had uh, sort of said, if you wanted to go to a game, we could go. So it was, it was the inner circle. I I was made it for once in my life. And I didn't want to lose the tickets because the tickets uh, were against a really good team. It would have been a really fun game, but this guy, uh, who, who had given me these tickets um, and was super nice, he he was kind of, um, I don't know how to say it other than, uh, he'd kind of done a couple things that really kind of bothered me as a friend. And it, it probably, I remember feeling like being torn between these, this, these really, these weird two things. Like on one hand, I wanted to be a good friend and tell him he was bothering me and tell him how he kind of hurt mm-hmm. my feelings, but okay. I really wanted the tickets. Um, I wanted, I wanted to go to the game. And I remember it kind of in this, weird relational social pickle I found myself in that I wanted to not tell him the truth because I wanted the tickets. And so I, I kind of had to pick one side or the other. I had to like, which one? Do I want the tickets or do I want to be an actual friend? I don't know. That emotional ambiguity um, of feeling torn between tickets and friendship was uh, was was a difficult one. I, th- I think that sometimes Christians feel like they are in a similar pickle with God. And that if, uh, if they don't do it all well, they don't do it all perfectly, like God is going to take the tickets away and that, that the tickets just sort of, you know, get, just get shred up the minute you've kind of crossed this line and that you can pretty much be assured that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're, you're done. I don't know that emotional ambiguity that we have towards God certainly has places in the New Testament that are, it's attached to. I mean there are very clear commandments in scripture around this idea of of losing our, our, our relationship with God. Can I So for example, can I bring up Hebrews 6? I want, I, want to, I think we should read this. Yes. Um this is Hebrews 6 uh 4 uh through 6. Um the author of Hebrews, uh uncertain who the author is, anybody that thinks that they do know is don't ever listen to them. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says something like this. Um, it is impossible, and this, by the way, is one of four times in the book of Hebrews when the author of Hebrews says the phrase, it is impossible for something. Uh, so there, there's a couple times where they say like Hebrews uh, 6.18, God can't lie. It's impossible for God to guy- lie. Hebrews 10, it's impossible for the blood of b- bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The impossibles of Hebrews. It is impossible, Hebrews 6.4, for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. <clears throat> to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, the the, the this particular passage, of course, has, uh, in the history of the church, um, been west- wrestled through time and again, you know, this idea that that there comes a point when we're we're sort of re-crucifying Jesus and, and there's no way to come back after that. Let's wrestle with that. What is that about? What is that about? I'll tell you what I think it's about. Here's what I think it's about. I think that the author of Hebrews is warning Christians to not treat their faith cavalierly. And what I mean by that is not living in such a way where they think they are beyond judgment, Um, Here's maybe an illustration. In the academic world, we have this thing that all professors are trying to earn called tenure. And tenure (laughs) is this day when you've arrived at uh, job security, academic freedom, uh, all all this sort of stuff. To be honest, the worst professors I've ever had often were tenured professors. Um, There's a comfortability there. there's, There's a sense in which when you've attained this, I am free from any consequence, that you no longer try. And I I think the author of Hebrews is basically calling out people that think they're tenured Christians and saying, don't think for one moment that you are beyond the pale of judgment. And so this is a word of, it's a very strong word to Christians.
0: Don't You're going to get some angry emails from some tenured professors.
1: (laughs) Yes. I've also had phenomenal tenured professors, (laughs) but the ones that I can recall that were the worst were tenured.
0: Right.
1: Right. Okay. So I think what's going on here, and all grace to our tenured professors, all three of you, thank you for your listenership. <laughs> um, I think the author to Hebrews here is is throwing down the gauntlet and saying, don't think you are above the pale. I mean, when you're when you're talking to somebody who's about to get married and they say a phrase, you know, we could never get divorced. We, that is the worst position, mindset to have. The minute you think right. you're above something, you don't guard against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you read Hebrews 6? I mean, you wrestled with that text for a long time. Uh, how, how have you traditionally thought through what what the author there is, is discussing?
0: You know, I, I think similarly, and, and all over the New Testament, you have similar kinds of things. Um, I remember Jimmy Dunn, one of my professors, talked about the if passages in Paul, where he says, if you do this, if you do this. and And so that points to conditionality. It points to, you know, things have to work together. I think... I think we have to say that in this thing we call salvation, there is a role that we play. It's not us saving ourselves, but there is a role that we play to really step in and be engaged and be uh, reactive and active. You know, I'm going to frame it a little differently here. When I think of the two major metaphors in the Bible for the human relationship with God or the God's relationship with with humans. The two major metaphors are we are we are married to God, you know, the bride of Christ, and we are children of God. And there are two different kinds of relationships. They're both you know pervasively used in the Bible, but they're different kinds of relationships. So with my children, there is no divorce. There is no, you know, I I love them unilaterally and unconditionally. And I will cheer them on and pray for them and love them, even if they walk away from me, right? They're still my children. I still love them and I would never give up on them. And then you have your marriage relationship. And of course we talk about love and the relationship. We talk about mutuality, but in, in reality, we have divorce, you know, in the real world. And we know that what it, we know what it looks like to abandon one another physically or socially. No or emotionally, or whatever you call it. So I've never been a fan of once saved, always saved, just for the reasons that you talked about. Is this what God wants? He just has this sort of game he plays where he just sends, he pushes a button, sends some people to heaven, even though they are they don't care about Jesus, they don't care about the Spirit. Um, I just, I don't see God as that kind of person who just willy-nilly just sends people to heaven. I, I think that God is st- Creating revolution, creating a team. He wants people on board, right? But I think we have two traditions in scripture. One tradition is, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? That's from the Old Testament. Comes up again in the New Testament. And the idea behind that is God is not fickle. God can Mm. be counted on. God is for us. God loves us. God is with us. And at the same time, we have a tradition in the old Testament. You are not my people and I am not your God, Mm -hmm. which is a criticism, a covenantal criticism of the waywardness of God's people, which is Israel in the old Testament, but we know what it's like to be bad children (laughs) where God can say, you broke the covenant. You screwed up. You haven't held up your end of the bargain. And I, you know, I, Maybe maybe it's the Wesleyan in me. I don't feel the need to systematize that. I don't feel the need to put it into some sort of formula. The way the way I express it to other people is relationships are messy. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just this middle of mess. And we know on the fringes what great commitment looks like and what abandonment looks like. But in the middle, you just have a mess of ups and downs of life, just like a marriage relationship, just like a friendship relationship. To sometimes you're hot. Sometimes you're cold. Sometimes you love spending time with each other. Sometimes you don't. And we know what the extremes look like, but in general, our relationship with God is a lot like our human relationships. I think when we think of it that way, it's not about constantly being afraid that God has abandoned us or we've abandoned God, but just saying, is my heart really in this? Am, am, yes. am, yep. I, am, I, am I trying? One thing I've heard, AJ, which has been helpful, when you're talking about, you know, let's say a Christian who is on fire for the Lord, and then you can kind of see backsliding or you can see they've they don't go to church much or they don't read their Bible. And I remember in college someone saying to me, "A Christian is an organism right there's no there's no pause button they're either hmm. they're either living or they're dying uh, and so you know look for signs of growth even if small, right. Yes. Yep. Um, signs of life you might say even if small and I'd say that with any Christian are there signs of life sometimes there are very weak a weak heartbeat right a weak pulse and sometimes the but heart's there. racing
1: yeah I don't know is that helpful do you think that could help people out yes yeah I read Hebrews 6 actually The the, the tr- I've, seen, I've heard it read Hebrew, that Hebrews 6 passage uh, in such a way that if somebody sort of sins too much that God abandons them that yeah. that God sort of turns their back on them and and whatnot. But when I read Hebrews six, what I really read going on there is not that God abandons us in our sin, but that God that sin unchecked over time actually causes us to not want to come back. That that in essence, the the, the corrosive power of sin is it keeps us from returning. It's that's then I, I always think in First uh, John when John talks about those who deliberately sin those who deliberately sin. He's not saying those that sin. He's saying those that like throw the double fists up to God and say, I'm going to do what I want, no matter what you have to say. That form of sin leads to a kind of death of relationship. You can't have any marriage that would operate in in the way where you would say, you're going to throw your fists up and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, uh, if if a husband in a marriage were to, unfortunately, uh, this is all too familiar to me, at least in pastoral work, is when a husband, by virtue of their own choices, time that they have, uh, you know, what what is one kiss becomes a full-on, you know, an emotional affair becomes a kiss becomes a one-night stand becomes a two-year affair, and then it becomes another affair with another person. There comes a point in the darkness of sin where it's just too much to be open with our the person that we love. And we have to hide and cower in our sin to protect the person that we want to love. And I think what Hebrews six is saying is that there's, when sin goes unchecked, it actually makes it so that we can't open up to God anymore. And we put, and we become what Paul calls an enemy in our own mind that we actually end up walking away ourselves. So I don't like the idea of can we lose our salvation? I like the, I think a better way to talk about this would be something like, do I have freedom to walk away from God? Yeah. And I think I, I, I think I think that that is 100% accurate. Yes, I can because the God of the universe who places the tree of knowledge of good and bad in the middle of the garden has always given a, a way towards freedom. God is a freedom extending God and f- yes, God has given us freedom to do that. And actually knowing that makes us more equipped to love God all the more because then we become a little bit more we become a little bit more cautious and thoughtful and mindful that goodness gracious, if it can happen to Judas, it can happen to me.
0: Yeah. uh, I've been translating through Ephesians, you know, as, as you do on any given day and um, you know, there's, there's language repeated in Ephesians over and over and over and over again of the kindness of God, of the grace Mm -hmm. of God, of the love of God and of the patience of God. This idea that, Sometimes I think we think of God as someone who's easily, you know, we would use a good GRE word is irascible, you know, easily driven yes. to anger. You know, that that that, that we're going to do something and he's just going to throw a tantrum. But if you read Ephesians, God is doting. He's doting on his children. And um one of my favorite words for for kindness is macrothumia, which means uh largeness of heart or largeness of emotion. <laughs> And what, what that means is, you know, he's got a great big heart is the way I would paraphrase. If I were Eugene Peterson, I'd say, God's got a great big heart. What does that mean? He has all the patience in the world as long as there's still hope. And I think that idea is you could be a pretty big screw up as long as you know who to turn to when mm-hmm. you want to get right. I mean, you know, I probably grew up thinking of God as just a kind of robotic or neutral rulemaker. And actually sitting down and reading the New Testament, I see just how tender hearted God is. If yeah. God has any biological features, obviously, no, God is not human. But if he does, then scripture tells us he has a heart. And I think that's a pretty cool thing to think about any time that we feel like, Oh my gosh, I've strayed too far. I've backslidden too much. I haven't been to church in forever. Like, think of that friend you have that just has a great big heart. And then God is even greater than that. I really like the way you frame that less in terms of God giving up on us and more in terms of our giving up on God. So, let, let me push you a little bit on this. Is there a line? Is there like, is there an unforgivable sin that is like this, oops, I took the mark of the beast, or mm. oops, I you know committed <laughs> adultery, or oops, I cheat on my taxes. Is there this thing that we do mm. that signals abandonment of God?
1: Gosh, I don't know. And actually, if I put a line on there, we'd be over speaking for scripture, wouldn't we? I'm not sure what the line is, but I know this. In the Garden of Eden, when the humans... The man and the woman sin. It is not God that drives them into the trees. They run to the trees. The first Mm -hmm. human response. God does not drive them into the trees. They run Mm -hmm. themselves. The human response to sin is that we walk away, not that God walks away. In fact, I, I think when God comes to the man and woman and says, what have you done? He is invoking, he is evoking confession. He's just waiting for them to confess and say, in fact, I, I read one Orthodox theologian who said, actually, the fall, the fall was not uh, when they ate the fruit. The fall was when they refused to confess. And that had they confessed that the fall would have never happened. I don't know if I agree, but I, I think at the end of the day, they run away from God. The natural human response to sin is that we don't want to be known anymore. Play that out in every marriage, every friendship. That is mm. um. That is the human nature. We, we, we duck and cover and we run and hide. And it is God who is always coming to us in scripture. It is God who goes to the trees to find the humans. Absolutely. He goes to the trees to find the humans. Um, the entire Bible is a chase scene because good movies always have to have a chase scene. The entire storyline of the Bible from the very beginning to the end is God coming to the humans to evoke, invoke, invoke confession. Just name it. Just say it. So I don't know what the line is. I don't get to say that. I don't get to say what the line is. I don't know what the line is, but I know that we run away and that the God described in scripture is eternally committed to going to the trees to find his people going as the book of Acts would say, actually climbing the tree of death so that he might once again, come to us and meet us in our sin. Um, so I don't know what the line is, but I do want to say something about this. This is, I think this Hmm. is critical to say there, there is this, I want to address what you said at the very beginning here. There is a very shaky, in in many respects, a very shaky evangelical con- conscience that a lot of evangelical Christians have. That their inness with God is dependent on how great the spiritual week has been, and we basically go week to week, ping ponging back and forth between we're in God's favor and we're in God's wrath. And I'm I'm convinced. That that kind of insecurity uh, is birthed out of our neglect of understanding our identity as sons and daughters of God. To be a son and a daughter of God is not dependent on how great your week was. Uh, it is it transcends those moments. You have the book of back to the book of Hebrews. I love when you read Hebrews eleven, which is the chapter of faith, right? The story of the the, the hall of faith. You read these stories of all of these people, people like Abram. Uh, people like Sarai, Sarah, you know, all these people who are described for having faith. Yet when you go read their stories, they're anything but people of faith. I mean, Abraham, for heaven's sake, day in, day out, is faith one day. I mean, he, the guy's a complete train wreck. And yet he's described as a person of faith. And here's what's awesome about this is that their faithlessness is not remembered. It's their faith that's remembered.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And the thing, the thing that sticks is not their fickle spirituality. The thing that sticks was they stuck with it. They didn't give up. There's a great line in a book by Thomas Schmidt. He wrote a book called Trying uh, Trying to Be Good. It's about, it's about Christian formation. And he says, the goal of the Christian story is not focusing on arriving, but never stopping our striving. That we keep mm. going every day. And that's Abraham's virtue is not that he was a man full of remarkable faith. It's that he persistently followed over a lifetime and didn't stop. So that shaky, that shaky conscience is not from God. That shaky conscience that says you're in one week out the next because of how many chapters of the Bible you've read this week. That is not, that's not the spirit of a father to a child.
0: As you've been talking, it makes me realize that a lot of how we process this question is shaped by our understanding of God, probably based, Partly on our parents, partly culturally, what we've been taught about God. And uh, one of the things you're bringing up is how we actually change the way we think about God. And I think one of the key ways we change it, AJ, is by reading scripture. I think about just sitting down and reading the Gospels and looking at how God responds to people, looking how Jesus responds to people, looking at the interaction between Jesus and the Father, the intimacy, the close relationship, a good, a, a good text would be the Gospel of John in terms of how God reacts to um, the disciples, how Jesus reacts to the disciples, the forgiveness Jesus gives to Peter. You know, I, I we use this big term, generic term, God, but we have to actually be thinking about the God that reve- that is revealed in history and scripture mm-hmm. when we think about how God actually thinks about us. And, um, you know, I know we're wrapping up here, but for those of you who are listening who are really wrestling with the question of have I lost my salvation, I, I think if you pose that question to God, you're going to meet the kindness of God, right? If you-, if you pose that in a Godward direction, then there's nothing but good news coming from the other side.
1: Amen. Amen. Yeah, and 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 for that, yeah, for the person listening, with that, it, it just sort of felt like that that whole sort of insecure relationship with God, kind of shaky conscience thing. Um, you are not abnormal, and we all experience that. And the greatest people of faith experience that. And the enemy is very good at trying to convince us that we have botched it and we're no longer kids of God. Now, the enemy always speaks in those terms. You are no longer. y'all, oh, you've really messed it up now. That's all enemy territory. That's not, the, that's not the voice of the Lord. It's certainly not the voice of the Lord that's described in the New Testament, who returns to Peter uh, and offers three opportunities to bring about reconciliation and a recommitment to the mission uh, of God. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Grace and peace, Nijay. It's so good to be with you.
0: You as well.